Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I am your host, Brian Turnbow, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard new intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Katie Yaki, now Katie Hansen, class of 2013, research analyst for retail and e-commerce at Mintel. Katie will share with us how she blended her strengths in creative writing into her professional field of consumer research for Fortune 500 companies. Joining us today is Katie Yaki Hansen from the class of 2013. Katie, what do you do? Hi, yes, absolutely. Um, So my current job is, um, I, I work at Mintel. We are a market research firm. Um, My specific role is their retail and e-commerce analyst. Um, So what that means is I go ahead and write um, consumer surveys every about every month. Um, And once we receive the data back, I go ahead and analyze all of it and turn it into insights and help our clients understand what consumers want and why um, and understand their behavior, their attitudes towards specific subjects under the retail and e-commerce category. Teaching AP language, that was like my favorite thing to do was to unpack the audience and understand the various temperaments, psychologies, wants, needs, and desires, and all of that. Oh, that is so interesting. All right, well, how about, let's 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 get back to that in a, in a few minutes here. I was wondering if you could maybe kind of walk us through, where did you go after we go? Yeah, so uh, after we go, I went to Butler University in Indianapolis um, and had a really wonderful experience there. Um, being at a smaller school, I had the opportunity to double major um, within four years. So I have both um, an English creative writing degree as well as a marketing degree, um, which at first glance might kind of seem strange, but put into practice, they actually work very well together. That was actually exactly going to be my next question. How do they complement each other? How, how do they kind of have a reciprocal kind of quality to them where they kind of strengthen each other? How would you, how would you describe that? Absolutely. So, I mean, marketing is all about communicating to your client, consumer, customer. So, you know, however you want to put it, um, why they should seek you out as a brand. Um, and to do so, you need to understand their motivations and, you know, understand their emotions behind why they're doing things so that you can tap into that and show them the importance of your brand or how, you know, it's bettering their situation or solving a need or, um, you know, again, just making maybe their life better. Um, however, however you want to think about that. Um, so they do work very well together because it's all about communication, the language you use and how you communicate your message. 
Now, that's the, the, the marketing and advertising wing of that. Uh, you know, because it's also, I bet, one of your first loves is also the type of creative writing part of that. What kind of creative writing, how would you categorize your creative writing? Was it a particular genre or style that you were most kind of where you found your muse? Yeah. So um, as part of our program, we were required to take various styles. So I took everything from, of course, you know, nonfiction, typical essay writing to you know, I took a screenplay class, I took a bunch of poetry classes. Um, but I found that I really mostly enjoy a little bit more of the creative nonfiction area. Um, so, you know, doing a little bit more of the research, um, understanding what's going on, and then communicate communicating that. Um, actually, one of my favorite papers and classes that sticks out to me, um, I actually took a um, it was with the, within our English department. It was a, let's see, I believe it was called, uh, it was like a trauma theory class. Um, and we read a lot of literature that, you know, was tough to read. Um, but one of the most interesting ones was, um, it was about a bunch of military members and how their perspective, you know, changed how they viewed war and how they came home and had to deal with just a completely altered view of the world. Um, so digging more into that creative nonfiction, how language shapes your memories and how memories shape your reality um, was really interesting to me. What, what were the things that you researched within that particular paper? That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So um, within that research, I looked a lot at how um, war vets came home and actually used writing as a way to cope with the trauma. Um, so there's some really amazing programs out there um, for those who want to investigate a little bit more um, that do help vets into the creative field. So whether it's writing or art, um, it helps, you know, some kind of self-expression to process what they've been through and help them, you know, again, just process and cope and learn how to move forward after a very traumatic experience that they've been through. Do you still write uh, as a practice, uh, even though you're, that might not be what you're doing as a career, do how do you do you still kind of uh, do uh, kind of expressive writing in, in, in such a way to kind of scratch that itch that you that you had as a creative person? Um, well, I write almost every day for my job, um, which we can get into in a little bit. Um, but I've you know I've done some blogs here and there. Um, I think social media is actually kind of interesting because I think as we use it, we put a lot of thought into the language we use and our captions and what we want to say and how we want to present ourselves. Um, so I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not super active on it, but I, I think it's just interesting every once in a while kind of going on there and, you know, how do I want to, you know, put this post out to the world? Um, but yeah, I, I do some writing here and there, nothing Nothing too formal. Like I said, I do a lot for my job. So uh, I'm pretty tired at the end of the day. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Okay. So you're at, um, you were at Butler. How, how did you choose Butler out of all the available schools? Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted to go to a smaller school, um, uh, just fit my personality and, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, and I kind of had a radius, you know, how far I wanted to be from home. Um, I'm pretty close to my family. So um, being able to come home for family events was important as well. Uh, but one of the most, I guess, key drivers for me was the fact that I could double major in two different colleges and still graduate in four years. 
Um, so definitely a lot of work, but um, I'm incredibly thankful for all the professors and advisors who helped me get through that. Now, when what were the, some of the type of coursework that you did for the, uh, the the marketing and the advertising? Like, what when did you like really hook into that and say this is what I want to do? Mm-hmm. So um, right off the bat, my freshman year, I jumped in um, to both colleges feet first um, and tried to start taking as many classes towards my major as I could. Um, But within the marketing realm, you know, um, obviously there are your basic business courses and, you know, that sort of thing. But there were a couple of market research classes I took that I really enjoyed, um, particularly with some of the survey tools we used um, and some of the data tools we used. I thought was really interesting, just again, capturing what people are doing, or I guess more importantly, what they say they're doing, and then actually looking at what they're really doing, because those are two very different things. What 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 would be one of those divergent scenarios that you just described there, where it's like this is what I say versus what I do? Is it, is it? I would imagine that is that does it have to do with like a certain lifestyle? Like this is what I claim to be exercising, but I'm actually going to Dairy Queen. Is, is that what the, uh, is that what the research tools are kind of suggesting? How does, what's that, uh, what's the, uh, the, the contrast there? Yeah, no. So, um, specifically for talking retail and e-com, um, I think it's interesting because people say, you know, they want to be more environmentally friendly and do things that are better for the environment. And I, I do believe people want to, but I think, you know, when it comes down to it, is it convenient? Because if it's not convenient, then it's probably not going to happen, unfortunately. The um, so what when did you have any internships while you were at Butler? Like, what, how did you begin to um, kind of then kind of dip your toes into what the professional setting would be like? Yeah, I had quite a few internships. Um, a couple that stick out to me. Um, I interned at a small uh, marketing agency down in Indianapolis. Um, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think one of the best parts about it is that I could wear all hats. So I could sit in with the creatives, I could sit in with the account managers, I could sit in with project management, and really just get a sense of all the kinds of opportunities um, that exist within that field. Um, because originally, I did think I wanted to go into um, you know, the agency world for, for a while there. So that was a really great internship to um, be exposed to all kinds of different job opportunities within that field and kind of taste a, a little bit of everything. Uh, well, when you said you got to wear a lot of hats, uh, which was the, which was your favorite kind of room to be in, uh, when you were kind of, uh, uh kind of experimenting within that internship, which one was your favorite? Um, I really enjoyed both the creative and the project management side. Um, Yeah, those were probably just really interesting to me. Um, I think I have a little bit of both the logistics as well as the creative side in my my brain. So those both spoke to me. Yeah, I mean, it is a a perfect mirror of your major, right? Where you had the, or your double major. One was like the more kind of creative, tactical, pragmatic marketing side, but the, the creative writing was kind of the other part of that. So you had both hemispheres of your brain perfectly firing off uh, with that. So, um, so you, you, you graduated, uh, what, what brought you back to the Chicagoland area? What was your first job? 
Yeah. Um, so my first job out of college was actually an internship with a um, agency with an agency called Geometry. Um, they're now renamed, um, but they are part of the Ogilvy and Mather family, WPP. Um, so it was a really great experience, and I got to work on the Coca Cola account, which was just super cool. Um, a lot of work, but very cool and learned so much. Um, so I was a junior strategist there. And what that means is that I went ahead and did consumer research, again, understanding behaviors, what people are looking for, um, in order to create a creative brief that our, um, our creative partners could bounce off of and then go do their amazing artwork, um, which I am not talented enough to do whatsoever. Um, So it was really interesting. I learned a lot and I had some really great people on my team there. That's, that has to be an incredibly um, important account. Coca-Cola is a global brand and, and all of that, but they have so many different companies within Coca-Cola, right? So they own Sprite and they own, do I have that right? They have a whole host of various different uh, beverages, including bottled water and, and all of that. Did, which one did you work on? Um, a lot. So we, ah. we, we, yeah, we, it was really great because we got to work on, you know, Coke Red Label. Um, I think one of the coolest things is that we got to be part of the new Diet Coke flavors launch. Um, so we primarily did a lot of like in-store and um, a little bit of online marketing. Um, so it was just really cool to be able to be part of some of, you know, some of these big launches in recent years. And I, I would imagine that some of the techniques are somewhat proprietary and, and all that, you know, I know you probably can't get into too much detail with that, but like, what would be the type of question you would ask? And then how would you then interpret the data that would come back and then make that actionable to the next campaign? What would be an example of something like that uh, uh, specifically? Yeah. Um, so, you know, our, our client would give us a brief and say, you know, here's kind of our target market that we're looking at you know, what do they, how do we connect with them? How do we talk to them? Um, and so if we're thinking of, I don't know, let's say the new Diet Coke flavors that was clearly targeted towards younger consumers. So, you know, we wanted to make it all about, you know, we found that they were really interested in experiences and expressing their individualism and playing by their own rules. So digging into research that showed that and, you know, a lot of times it's pulling actually examples from social media because, I mean, you know, what better way to inspire creatives with real life happenings as well. So, um, yeah, it was it was a really cool project to work on. The, the, the tools that you have to get the demographic information have to be so powerful to the extent that you, you know, there's no guessing really anymore. Like there's, like you said, they're showing you what they value and all that versus maybe 15, 20 years ago, prior to social media and the way in which they can capture these kind of really important details must've been like, um, painting in the dark, you know, like they, it just, you could only see the value of it when it come back in sales. I mean, I know they, they always had like some type of market research prior to that, but the, the, the closer to the consumer now has to be such an incredible, uh, tool. How, how much, so like when you begin to construct a survey, um, you, you, the, do, do you have an idea of what you want or how much is it kind of, 
preloaded by the actual company and the brand and what they want first? What's what's that kind of negotiation like as you set out before you begin to get that data? Yeah. Um, so now I work on more of the syndicated side. So what you know, we go ahead and write reports that could apply to a whole variety of brands and um, agencies. So it's we do some calls if you know clients are interested in chatting with us to understand what their questions are and how we can best help answer them. Um, but a lot of it is fine, you know, for me, I think about, okay, what are consumer motivations and what are their barriers to purchasing in, you know, the direct-to-consumer category, for example. Um, I have some back and forth with my director and we kind of brainstorm together on the best questions to ask, how to ask them. Um, but for me, it's it's thinking about those two key things, their motivations, what are they doing, why are they doing it, or why are they not doing this thing and how can we get them to do so? <laughs> And that's got to be so tricky because the more, you know, the thing about persuasion, you know, my, my always, my understanding of that is that the more that you show your intent, the more it's likely that the consumer may kind of push away uh, from that. So that has to be such a, a tricky kind of balance uh, to, to find that proper uh, persuasion. What's your, what's your favorite type of campaign to work on? Um, see um i haven't necessarily hmm thinking back to my agency days um i actually did some what we call like shopper pathways um so i looked more directly at okay what is a consumer who shops at target who are they what do they do what are they buying why um so some of the more specific retailer pathway pathways were really interesting um now I think I have more of a luxury of looking at a retail space from a holistic perspective and understanding now what Target is doing or what Walmart is doing um, and understanding their, you know, competitive strategies within the marketplace. So Katie, does that sound like when, when do you, would there be like an observable behavior while they're in the store? So would that be like, wow, they seem like 80% of people turn left at this point, and then other, you know, turn right at, at this point, then why is that? Is that, is, do you have like, um, interpretation of, of, um, behavioral economics uh, to that extent of like what happens in the live experience at the store? Um, we have a little bit on that. That's all, you know, I think when we're thinking of a store, consumers tend to shop the perimeter. So if you're working on a brand like Mondelez and you're in the middle of the store, you're in the aisles, okay, well, what tactics can you use to reach, you know, someone who's trying to shop healthier, you know, maybe you do some end caps so it meets them where they are more on the perimeter. So um, I did get to go on a few, uh, what we call shop alongs, um, where <laughs> you actually find someone who wants to just kind of let you observe them as they shop, which is an experience. Um, very interesting. Um, but yeah, it, we have, we have some of that, but sometimes it can be a little tricky because, um, it, it kind of just depends on what the shopper is looking for as well. So you have two, so you have that experience and then you have, like you said, the tools that you use to, 
observe this in the online uh, space with that. Um, what what are some of the more interesting findings that you uh, are able to to watch? I know you said something that's like there's that idea of like what they say and versus uh, what they do. I was wondering if there's some other kind of uh, quirky behaviors that, that that you seem to have interpreted or uh, seen uh, with uh, the consumers that you study. Yeah. So, I mean, with, you know, consumer survey, the the tricky thing is, you know, no one wants to answer and what they perceive to be a bad light, you know? So if we try and do a sustainable, you know, sustainability study, um, you know, most people want to answer that. Yeah. They think they're sustainable. They, they do things well, but in reality, if we look at data about recycling and where things end up in landfills, it's like, well, okay, something, something's misaligned here. Um, so it's it's interesting because again it, it's all about the perception of themselves and how they want to portray themselves even though they're anonymous we have no idea who they are um, and we just want them to answer honestly but of course as you're an individual taking the survey you see yourself usually in the best light is there a particular platform online that is that seems to have the best kind of work through for the consumer? I mean, is it, is it Facebook or is it Instagram or, or is it, you know, what, what are the, what's the, the avenue that seems to be the most powerful for your clients to, to reach their, uh, to, to reach their consumer? Um, a lot of that depends on the brand and product that's being sold as well as the ah, generation yeah. being targeted. Um, so, you know, you're not, you're, unlikely to reach maybe, you know, someone who's over the age of 50 on Instagram compared to, you know, when compared to maybe a Gen Z or millennial. Um, of course, right now, TikTok is all the rage. Um, I can't say I'm on it myself, but um, I have some younger cousins who absolutely love it. So, you know, to reach younger consumers, you got to be on TikTok these days. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think I think I just read a statistic that the average time spent on TikTok is roughly 90 minutes for a teenager uh, at this point, the, oh, the way yeah. in which it's in, that wouldn't surprise me. I have a freshman who's, who is uh, seemingly has his nose stuck in it frequently uh, with that. It's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. So what's, what's the next project that you're working on? Like, I mean, do you, what, what, what would be the next kind of, kind of dream scenario that you would want to uh, maybe pursue? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm still figuring that out myself. Um, I'm actually working on a uh, project management system for our company right now and looking for best use cases and how to implement that. Um, and it's something that is really interesting to me. Um, I'm someone who likes to make things work to their best ability and as the most efficient as possible. Um, so it's something that I've really enjoyed right now, um, but I, I'm not really sure. Um, just kind of exploring as to what's available um, because there's so many job opportunities and so many cool things happening right now. So it's a, it's a lot to choose from. You know, I want to kind of circle back to something that you were talking about uh, earlier about how you were able to develop and craft questions when you know that maybe the audience or the intended person who's going to re responder may not 
necessarily want to give the obvious answer back because they're hiding their true intent uh, with that. How, how did you kind of figure out how to begin to craft questions that could maybe circumvent that kind of shield that your um, your intended survey taker would do? That has to be like, is that something that just comes through experience or is that something that you kind of learn through, um, through study? How did that, how does that, because that, that can't be something that just happens by accident. I mean, like there, there's just has to be a great kind of understanding of the human mind to be able to do that. How did you, how did, how did you arrive at that? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's something I'm definitely still working on. Um, but you know, with anything that you're learning, surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you for sure. Um, so I lean a lot on our wonderful, um, analytics team as well as my director and analysts around me um, and we just talk and brainstorm and you know um, getting other perspectives and ideas on how to ask a question or you know looking at past examples from other analysts who have tackled you know maybe similar subjects or asked similar questions is always helpful um, and it's just always a learning process you know um, someone's always going to have more experience or, you know, maybe a different perspective from you. So just leaning on the people around you and um, just kind of absorbing as much information from them as, as you can is, is just always helpful. And then you can take those lessons and apply them next time. And then you can build on that, you know, it's, it's never a, a done process. So true. So true. Uh, you know, as, as a, as a language geek myself, I, I find all of this so fascinating because I, I, you know, this is, this is what I do. I love persuasion. I, I love talking about language and all that. It's just something that I'm always uh, looking at. I wonder if you have any stories about how you found the precision of a word or a turn of phrase that really changed the outcome for you. Was there any, do you have any example of that where it's just like, it was just one word or one phrase that seemed to unlock what you were intending to get at? Yeah. Um, let me think. So back in my agency days, <laughs> um, that was our whole intent was to develop one, one line that creatives could bounce off of, um, which is no small task. <laughs> um, so I use the thesaurus all the time, you know, because I might have an idea of what I want to say, um, but that, you know, doesn't mean that the word I'm thinking of actually communicates that. Um, I actually had a run in with my director um, about the word novel or novelty, and we had this whole back and forth discussion about how, to me, novel was something unique and interesting and different. And when he read novel, he thought like, maybe kind of, you know, strange or new or different or not, you know. So we were, we had similar ideas about this one word, but how we were using it was completely changing my analysis within my, my report. Um, so it's interesting how, you know, you use language to describe things and how someone else might use, a, you know, the exact same word and it means something so different to them. So what's a typical day like for you? So you, you show up to work. I mean, do you, how how do how do the jobs or projects come to you? Is it something that you have to search out, or is, do you have someone uh, a team that ref gets refers these um, tasks to you? 
Yeah, so my job is pretty unique in the fact that I know what my entire year looks like um, starting, you know, January 1st. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it's pretty different um, because we work in, you know, I work in a syndicated research environment. We plan very far out. So we've already developed all the titles we're going to write for um, 2022. So I'm starting to write surveys for next year. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, it, it varies between maybe writing some surveys, doing some desk research, analyzing consumer survey that's come back, um, putting together reports. Um, so I actually write 10 60 to 70 page reports every year. Um, oh. So it's a, it's a lot. So about one a month. Um, but, you know, those reports generally are in all kinds of different stages. Um, so it kind of depends, but a lot of writing, a lot of reading, um, and a lot of, you know, brainstorming and sharing ideas with other analysts on my team. What do you mean by syndicated? You used that word before. And then did you say desk report or desk research? What was just yeah. just for my own purposes of understanding the the uh, the terms of that? What are those things? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, just the jargon of the industry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we talk syndicated, this means it is not specific to one client. So the report I write, um, for example, on direct to consumer retailing is going to be available for all kinds of clients who want to access it. Um, so this isn't going to be specific to like Kraft Heinz or Coca-Cola or Target. Um, it's going to be a more general look um, with implications on how to work within the industry or the market. Um, when we talk desk research, you can think of that as, you know, going to Google and looking up, you know, what's happening in the direct-to-consumer market. We also, um, I subscribe to a ton of different industry newsletters. Um, and I also, you know, kind of browse social media to understand what's going on. So looking at Twitter, um, Instagram, um, Pinterest, um, and of course, TikTok, you know, can't miss out TikTok now, um, <laughs> as to, to understand, you know, what's going on in the market so that when I get my consumer data back, um, I can, you know, kind of marry it with the desk research I found and make recommendations on, um, you know, the white space that brands can play in. So when you talk about the, the syndicate, like, so that would that mean that clients would come to your company and say, we, we would like access to the reports that Katie was writing for that they subscribe to a, a, a fee to be able to, to look at that information. And I would imagine it's very clamped down in terms of what you have uh, researched. It, 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 would that be the arrangement? Yeah. So clients can subscribe to the various libraries that we have. Um, so we have retail, we have e-commerce, we also have food and drink, we have a consumer lifestyles library. So depending on, you know, the company or the agency, whatever their needs are, they can subscribe to these various libraries um, to get access to all the reports um, under that umbrella. So I, I always like asking this question when I'm interviewing is that you, you must approach the analysis with a particular lens. Like, so if I'm talking to a lawyer, how do they read a document? Or if I'm talking to someone who is in the medical field, how do they assess you know, the, the condition of the, the, the patient, when you are looking in the wild at other 
advertisements or social media posts, what's the thing that you begin to break down first when you look at it? Or like, is it, is it the word choice? Is it the framing of the photograph and, and all of that? Like, how do you know you're looking at something that's effective versus something that probably is falling flat? Yeah. Um, um, that's a really good question. I think part of it is looking at industry news sources, um, you know, cause there are people who, you know, might study this more in depth or they just focus on, you know, the shoe and footwear market, um, more than, more than I do. So understanding their expertise and their lens as well. Um, working with data is interesting because, you know, sometimes I think we can say, oh, the data is, you know, doesn't lie, but data is all about perspective and how you want to frame it. So, you know, data can say various things depending on the language you use around it. Hmm. It, I, 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 so if I repeated this, this question before, but like, is there a particular like type of product or field that you want to maybe experiment next with like so if you're doing what you're doing now is there one like i'd like to kind of kick the tires on that one and check that one out is there or are you or is it at any given time or any year you might get that assignment or are you kind of more assigned to a particular field and if if you are or, or is there another one that you'd like to maybe uh, check out yeah so currently um i mean i'm assigned to the e-commerce and retail space and you know the various titles within that um something that i find really interesting um I mean, I think e-com is just, it's always changing. It's always doing something different. Um, and I think there are some really cool emerging spaces, um, specifically around social commerce. Um, so, you know, how you can now make purchases on Instagram or um, your other favorite social media platform, um, as well as sustainability within the e-com and retail space. Um, I think it's something that is gaining a lot more traction as we talk about secondhand um, platforms like Poshmark or um, The Real Real. You know, people um, are really focusing more on their efforts to be more sustainable and how to participate in, you know, what we're calling the circular economy, you know, which means, you know, selling gently used items so that other people can use it instead of, you know, tossing them in the trash. So I think those two areas actually work very well together. And it's something I'm um, keeping a close eye on and watching just because I think it could be a huge um, area for the retail space in general. Oh, that's just so cool. It's just so I just I, I love hearing uh, all these stories about the tools that you use and just the, the just the way in which you approach a, such a, an interesting communication puzzle, you know, which is that you know where you want to go, but you have to figure out how to unlock what it is that you want to get from your potential consumer. That's just so fascinating. Katie, this has been so fun. And I, I, I want to end the interview with a question I ask uh, all alumni, which is, what would be some advice that you give current Wildcats for success? Yeah, um... You know, I think there there's just so many resources available and a lot of great people at West Chicago who, you know, want to help you and want to see you succeed. Um, so use them, ask, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, ask them all the time for everyone because, you know, you'll just learn more and you'll, you know, 
unlock doors. Um, the other thing that I think is really important for me that I found as I've moved into my professional career um, is understanding where you get your energy. Um, and I say this <laughs> because um, as you're interviewing, it's important to ask questions on like, you know, what you're going to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Are you going to be on the phone with clients all the time? And is that something that energizes you that you can get up and do day in and day out? Or would you rather be more, you know, doing the work on your computer, researching, writing, coding, whatever it might be? Do you get your energy from that? So as you're seeking out, you know, career opportunities and choices, um, know what energizes you so that, you know, once you get into a job, you aren't dreading going to work every day. Oh, that was such, I love that metaphor about where you get your energy from. That's really great. Katie, thank you so much. This was, uh, this is great. I learned a ton and uh, uh, this is really exciting to hear what you do. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk with you and catch up and um, go Wildcats. Good luck to everyone on the new school year. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. <laughs>